Welcome to ACE Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in as we elevate clinical endocrinology by taking deep dives into trends and topics that can help us improve our patient care and global health. Find the latest episodes on aace.com slash podcasts. And now, let's meet the endocrine experts who will be talking with us today. Hello and welcome to this ACE Podcast. Uh, my name is Vin Tangpreacher. I'm going to be the host of this ACE podcast focused on hypoglycemia. Before we begin, I'd like to first thank our sponsor, Xeris Pharmaceuticals, for their support for this engaging podcast. And let's begin. So we have two exciting guests today uh, who will be uh, talking about hypoglycemia. Uh, it's actually in one of the uh, most recent ACE clinical practice guidelines. And so I'll have our first guest, Dr. David Leave, uh, introduce himself. Thank you so much, Vin. My name is David Leave. I am an endocrinologist at Eastern Virginia Medical School in Norfolk, Virginia, where I also serve as the program director for the Endocrine Fellowship and the vice chair for education for the Department of Medicine. Uh, and I am proud to be the Education Oversight Committee Chair for ACE. Thank you, Dr. Lieb. And we also have Dr. Jennifer Clements. Dr. Clements? Thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm Jennifer Clements. I am Clinical Professor and Director of Pharmacy Education with the University of South Carolina College of Pharmacy, I'm a proud member of ACE, and also my background is ambulatory care, hospital practice, and transition of care. We're so happy that both of you are here today on this uh, video and audio podcast. Um, as uh, the audience may know, I'm Vin Tang Preach. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Endocrine Practice, and this uh, guideline just got published last year in the ACE Journal Endocrine Practice. And what I find was find that was very interesting is that uh, this uh, discussion about hypoglycemia is actually in the diabetes guideline. So I must admit that I missed it. And so when I went back to the diabetes guidelines, I was really amazed that there is this very, uh, very, very detailed section on how to deal with hypoglycemia. And um, had I not known about it, I may have, um, you know, not uh, uh, really uh, appreciated how important this section is. So I think that's why we're having this discussion today. And so I want to start with Dr. Lee and ask him uh, how we could use this new clinical practice guideline. Actually, it's kind of a a uh, uh, guideline within a guideline, how we can use this new uh, guidance on how to deal with hypoglycemia and why it was necessary to have this new information within the diabetes, the ACE diabetes guidelines. Yeah, that's a very important question, Vin. Uh, and, and as I was going through the 2022 guideline um, uh, for the comprehensive care of diabetes, I, you know, I did a control F in preparation for our podcast today to make sure that I had missed things. And hypoglycemia is, is kind of littered throughout the guideline. Uh, there's a section in it that's specific to hypoglycemia and to glucagon and to the management of hypoglycemia. But I think just by how many times that word is mentioned, hypoglycemia, it really shows how important the, the, the topic is 
to persons living with diabetes. Um, uh, hypoglycemia is common, uh, you know, probably happens a couple of times a week to most people with type one diabetes like myself, uh, maybe a little bit less so in those with type two, uh, but it's very common, it's very costly. And we know that a significant number of people with diabetes who are on insulin or a sulfonylurea or other medicines that are associated with hypoglycemia have impaired awareness to hypoglycemia. Up to a quarter of people with type one and 10 to 15% of those with type two. Uh, and, and so it's, it's common uh, and not everybody can sense it. And uh, we have a very important emergent therapy, glucagon, uh, but fewer than 25% of people at high risk for hypoglycemia get a prescription for glucagon, and that may come up later in our discussion, uh, especially if you live in a rural area where you may have poor access to care. Uh, older individuals tend not to be prescribed glucagon, probably for a variety of reasons. So there are a lot of issues. And the new guidelines uh, are much more personalized with respect to goals for care, glycemic goals, uh, which medicines are right for which person. And hypoglycemia is a huge part of making some of those decisions. We have new ways to detect hypoglycemia that are focused on in the guideline, uh, uh, namely continuous glucose monitoring. Uh, and also there are new forms of glucagon. You know, I've had diabetes since 1989. Uh, I've been excited about all of the technological advances. I never thought that I would see uh, something besides the, the red kit you know, that I've had sitting on the shelf for the, for the last, you know, 30 some years. So uh, I think it's important to talk about a lot of those updates. Yeah. For, uh, I mean, this is really an amazing uh, 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 set of guidelines within the diabetes guidelines that ACE has published. Uh, and for the audience member out there, control F means search, <laughs> find and search. And actually I did that myself right before the podcast and you're right, the word hypoglycemia is appears so many times uh, in the diabetes guidelines. So it's, I, it's, I think it's really amazing. And I'm glad to see that ACE is now focusing on something that um, is very common and potentially very um, uh, life-threatening uh, and uh, um, something that could have long-term consequences for people with type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Uh, I want to ask Dr. Clements, um, in terms of the clinical practice guidelines, uh, I know that, um, you know, endocrinologists see many people with diabetes, both type 1 and type 2, but also primary care physicians and um, primary care providers uh, are often faced with seeing people with diabetes in many different settings, um, either in pharmacy, outpatient practices, emergency rooms. How can other people besides endocrinologists use these guidelines. Uh, please help us uh, 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 illustrate some of the high, high points of the guidelines. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question. Um, when you think about recommendations and then how can we put them into practice because that's so important and sometimes delayed when there's evidence-based recommendations. And so I think one of the first things is really we have to educate one another. I mean, I think often with diabetes, people just tend to focus on hyperglycemia and not really think of hypoglycemia. So it's really got to be an active engagement in continuing education, other staff education about what is the research, what is the guidelines say, and what are the recommendations related to glucagon. 
I think from that, if we focus on primary care providers, then they can involve their other team members because if we're all involved in shared decision-making and we're all educated on what those evidence-based recommendations are, then we know we're able to implement those recommendations into practice, but also get the person involved. And that's where the person-centered care and education, I think, would follow uh, what has already been provided to healthcare professionals. It's going to be important to talk to individuals and people with diabetes about these recommendations because this is a big change. I mean, if they've been using the traditional kit and their family member may have had to give it, it's a stressful and a panic situation. We now can make it easy for them and they need to know the benefits and how practical this you know, new product or new products can be in terms of their lives. Um, the last thing I would like to add is that while we can educate and we can put things into practice, we need to know what works. Like, what are the best practices to increase the number of prescriptions that are written for glucagon and to ensure that people get their prescription filled? And I think this is where we can think about maybe many quality improvement projects with our electronic health records, even piloting that out. But we have to then monitor and say, did that work or did it not? So we have to look at trends and analyze, you know, the our data that we have at our own clinics or our own institutions. And I think, too, we have to still hear from the patients and our colleagues, you know, like what challenges are we still facing? Because we know this has been a little bit of a challenge in the past. And I think even with newer products, there still can be some bumps in the road but there can be a smooth process as well. That sounds great. So uh, before we talk about the new products, I wanted to take a step back a little bit and ask Dr. Lee, um, before we move on, because there's some people in the audience who may not understand what is hypoglycemia. So maybe Dr. Lee, could you help define for the audience what is hypoglycemia? Like what is the clinical definition and uh, you know how should we... Uh, label it like you know mild are there things for mild and severe and that sort of thing like what is the the correct terminology thanks vin the the current um terminology uh is based on levels so there's level one level two and level three and level one hypoglycemia is a blood glucose or a, a glucose on a continuous monitor of less than 70. And many people will have symptoms at that level, uh, you know, sort of the neuroglycopenic symptoms that we're used to hearing about, shakiness, sweaty, uh, hunger, adrenergic type symptoms too. Um, that's level one. Level two is when the glucose is less than 54. Uh, and, uh, and that's when you start to worry that somebody's going to progress to level three, which is severe hypoglycemia, basically a low blood sugar that requires help from somebody else. Uh, and, uh, and that may be for, be for physical reasons, the person's not able to, to treat themselves or they develop uh, acute, you know, altered mental status related to the low blood sugar, uh, or they, you know, they, they lose consciousness. So it's kind of based on those levels. I, I remember when I was a kid, my certified diabetes care and education specialist uh, used sort of a fire as the uh, as as sort of a a similar kind of you know 
if if you know if if your shirt's on fire that's kind of level one if uh if if your chair is on fire that you're sitting in that's level two level three is like if the whole room is on fire <laughs> when i was a kid that was how they described it uh it certainly got my attention uh i don't use that so much with I don't use that so much with my patients, but uh, but it can but it can feel like that sometimes. Certainly, as the patient uh, or for the person who's caring for the patient or the person. I guess that's a good analogy. You got to put the fire out before yeah. it gets out of control. Um, and so, before we move on again to the um, the different types of treatments for hypoglycemia, I was wondering if Dr. Clements could just mention some of the medications that are more associated with hypoglycemia. You, and you mentioned earlier that we're not prescribing medications that prevent, uh, that treat hypoglycemia, but what are the medications for diabetes that should put us on the high alert that maybe there's a fire or hypoglycemic episode that's gonna occur and they, they need to get other medications along with those medications? Yeah, that's a great question. I think obviously that the two biggest class that comes to mind are insulin and sulfonylureas. And we know that with clinical practice guidelines, there's been some changes because we have kind of the glycemic centric approach or the complication centric approach. Now, especially with type two diabetes, where we focus on the other benefits of newer classes that have now been around maybe for 10 to 15 years. But definitely, I think if you saw an individual on basal insulin only, basal bolus insulin, definitely pump therapy, um, as well as a sulfonylurea, any ones in those class, you know, we need to have some caution there. I will say, though, we reflect on those classes the most based on how they work and the fact that you're also giving insulin. But we can't forget, too, that if we add on some of these newer drugs, it is in their label that there could be a higher risk of hypoglycemia. So, for example, you know, if you look at a GLP-1 receptor agonist, it says if you use it with insulin or sulfonylurea, the risk of hypoglycemia increases. Well, that's really because of those drugs, but we still have to be cautious, meaning that we're probably going to back down on the insulin or the sulfonylurea or eventually maybe de uh, discontinue the sulfonylurea. So what I'm hearing, Dr. Clements, is if someone's on insulin or sulfonylurea, we need to be thinking about uh, prescriptions for medications that treat hypoglycemia. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I think for sure that, you know, we need to be creative going back to, you know, maybe many quality improvement projects. There needs to be a way to alert providers when they're in a patient's chart uh, based on pulling information quickly, you know, that, hey, this person's on insulin or, hey, this person's on a sulfonylurea, especially if there's a way to track labs um, that may be obtained and may be on the lower side. There's also ways, especially maybe in the hospital and thinking of this at discharge, you know, mm -hmm. a way to look at scoring. And if someone has a high maybe risk of hypoglycemia based on criteria and their scores high that they should get a glucagon prescription prior mm -hmm. to discharge. So I think there's various ways that we could think about it and pull that information in to calculate that score. Great. Um, so we're going to talk about the treatments in a little bit, 
but we're going to take a break right now after a brief message by our sponsor. Managing blood glucose levels is challenging, and regardless of the effort your patients with diabetes put in, things don't always go according to plan. Severe hypoglycemia can happen anytime or anywhere. Your patients need a safety net when it matters most. Gvolk Hypopen Glucagon Injection is the ready-to-use glucagon auto-injector for severe hypoglycemia anyone can administer the moment it's needed. Don't leave your patients without a safety net. All you have to do is go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash HCP. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with pheochromocytoma or insulinoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com forward slash risk. And welcome back. And uh, we're going to now talk about the treatments for uh, hypoglycemia. Uh, before we do that, I want to ask Dr. Lieb now, um, before we talk to talk about the pharmacologic treatments, can you just walk us through the approach with someone who has just a mild episode or I guess like what wh where do you draw the line between like uh, needing pharmacologic treatment versus I guess I don't know if it's called conservative measures or something like walk us through like uh, what a what you counsel family member that uh, in a person who has like a hypoglycemic that's considered class one and then what you counsel on higher classes yeah you know, the the kind of early stage hypoglycemia, glucose less than 70, or maybe somebody sees on their CGM that they've got the arrow that's pointing straight down. They know that they're headed towards that or their insulin pump and CGM tell them that they need to eat something. Um, you know, those individuals uh, typically will do fine uh, so long as they can swallow uh, with taking some sort of readily uh, uh, absorbable and available uh, glucose source, like glucose tablets, three or four glucose tablets, uh, or about four ounces of juice. And those things have about 15 grams of carbohydrate. So the, the sort of teaching generally has been, you know, 15 grams of carbohydrate, and then wait 15 minutes, check the glucose again. And if it's still low, uh, and you're symptomatic, uh, treat again. Uh, it's a uh, it's hard, hard to do that. Sometimes it's hard to not continue eating when, uh, when your glucose is low because it's such a strong feeling. Um, for the person that can't swallow or uh, has developed altered mental status uh, and is really unable to care for themselves, uh, you know, that person needs help. Uh, and that's when we think about pharmacologic therapy. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, that's really uh, useful. Um, so Dr. Clements, um, I know in the guideline, there's this distinction between um, where we've been talking about mixed or mixing things and ready to use glucagon. Maybe the audience isn't really aware of what the new technology is. Like when I was a resident, we only had the bottle where you mixed. So tell us uh, what is new. Yeah, I mean, I think we all love this term ready to use because it's pretty simple and kind of describes itself um, because it describes the product or that medication as already being prepared and kind of packaged in a way that it's going to be immediately accessible, does not require any mixing and you can use right away. So there's no you know, mixing, dilution, you know, administration. So you're not pulling anything from a vial into a syringe before you have to give it. And when we think about it, it's it's made to be so simple and yet effective and faster because 
I've never had to give glucagon from a traditional kit, but I can only imagine someone in a situation, a caregiver, a family member, a friend being in panic mode and so stressed, and they may forget steps as far as that traditional kit, that now we have these products that are pre-filled syringe, an auto-injector, or even a nasal spray powder. And that education too is really quick when you have those demos in practice and you're able then just to educate again, the person, the caregiver, the family member, or the friend. So that's really what ready to use glucagon products means is that it kind of takes all those steps out. Uh, Dr. Clemens, just to follow up on that, how do you decide among all the ready-use preparations? Because it seems like for many, for people who haven't trained with these new products, like it would be sort of a guessing which one it would be best. So how do you walk through all the different products with patients? Yeah, so I can tell you maybe like the top two things that I do. The first is I always like to give every individual all the options. And so, of course, I'm giving them these options with their caregiver, their family member, their friend in the room as well. I even let them touch the demos and after I educate them on it and see what seems right for them. Once I kind of know what they prefer, then I've got to start to look at coverage. And I think this is like one of the biggest barriers is just getting the coverage of these products because they're still very costly. So even though they may prefer something, you know, we have to go and look at how much will they have to pay uh, for them to get it at a pharmacy. And then, of course, I can work with other pharmacists because they can be sometimes even though I'm a pharmacist more creative than me, because they do it on a daily basis in lowering the cost for them if needed. But those are probably my top two things that I'd like to do to try to figure out which one's right for them. Are there um, some automatic coverages? I mean, if you have type one diabetes, I mean, shouldn't it automatically be covered? I've still run into some issues with that particular statement and trying to get it. And then also, I think when some individuals see their copay, they don't want it then. So they still have that kind of decision right at the pharmacy counter that they may not want it if they still have a higher copay. But no, I totally think that, you know, there may be down the road some ways that this would be almost like naloxone, you know, why don't we have Operation Glucagon? <laughs> we have Operation Naloxone where we can look at people and what they're taking and how much they're taking and already get them this, this medication to prevent a problem. Don't you think Glucagon should be the same way, you know, and maybe that will be the trend down the road uh, once we see that there's trends of actually getting people this prescription, because they can still say no at the counter, even getting a $45 copay or a $125 copay, because, you know, they may have other things they have to pay for in their lives. Dr. Lieb, do you have any tricks for us? Because I, I, I think I struggle with this in the clinic as well. I don't uh, have a good grasp on which product uh, is going to be covered, which one is, uh, you know, preferred by most patients. So what do you, what do you do? I ask the staff 
in my clinic because they're the ones that often get the uh, the message back from the pharmacy that something requires a prior auth or hasn't been covered. So I, I lean on my friends. Um, I think um, the other thing that that you all are talking about that's so important is, you know, giving the the person options with, you know, kind of seeing everything. I really like that. And, uh, and, and uh, Dr. Clements, you mentioned, you know, sort of hands-on people actually holding the demos. We have drawers in our office, you know, that I don't think I'd ever opened before. And now they have demos of the different forms of, uh, of glucagon so that we can take them out while we're talking to people and show it to them. Um, and, and it's not just the person that has diabetes that's at risk for hypoglycemia, it's their family. So sometimes it's really helpful if they've got a, a loved one or a family member or a friend that's in the room, um, you know, they're the person who might potentially be giving the glucagon. So it's important for them to feel comfortable with the form too, you know, especially if they're a, a, a child or an adolescent versus, you know, an adult, sometimes that kind of plays a role in the decision process too. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Lieb, um, I know you're a big fan of the technology and CGM. Uh, tell us how you use uh, some of these CGMs um, perhaps to prevent hypoglycemia in patient who may be having hypoglycemia, how do you, what is your strategy? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, you know, one of the, one of the scariest things about having type one or type two diabetes, especially if you have type two and you're on insulin um, or sulfonylurea uh, is that risk for hypoglycemia. And so I, uh, I find that using continuous glucose monitors provides um, uh, so much reassurance uh, and helps to calm people because they can just look down or listen or feel a vibration to know that that they're dropping or that something's happening uh, and they can stop whatever they're doing uh, to treat themselves. Uh, I, you know, I think about, um, you know, when I was younger, uh, you know, I, I guarantee my parents were more worried about hypoglycemia than anything else. And, you know, I, I can't imagine how different their sleep would have been if they had something on their phone, because I was wearing a CGM, they could let them know that my glucose was dropping. Uh, you know, they just, they, they didn't know, uh, you know, uh, so, so the CGM I think has, has done a significant amount to, uh, to help, people feel more comfortable with hypoglycemia and the risk for hypoglycemia, but also to identify hypoglycemia earlier, especially in people with impaired awareness. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the folks that, that don't feel their glucose dropping when they're 60 and don't really start feeling it until they're 40. And then, then you're getting into that much more dangerous situation. And the continuous monitors can help to prevent that from happening because mm -hmm. the alarm goes off so that they know what's going on. Yeah, I noticed that when I'm filling out these prior authorizations, the unawareness, hypoglycemic unawareness is one of the criteria. So I that's great because I checked that box off and uh, I can get the CGM covered. Uh, I'm going to ask Dr. Clements. So we've been talking about um, treatment of hypoglycemia and, and it's amazing that all these new treatments are out. How do you how do you determine when the treatment's not working? Like when you have to call nine one one or 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 something something else has to be done. Like what is what is the approach? That, what is the criteria? What do you do? Maybe I'll have both of you answer this, Dr. Clements. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think if we go back, since we define the levels of hypoglycemia, you know, when someone would go through at least two treatments for that, maybe level one, then it was like, you need to kind of call and, and think about going to the emergency room. I think for me, de- depending on the person in front of me, I have told people before that if they had, if they got glucagon from a family member or a caregiver, you know, they may be okay, depending on what their blood glucose was. But I've had people that have had to use it repeatedly. And those are always ones then where you change your education, or now your recommendations, like once you use one, we need to really start to think about going to the emergency room, because there's people that do get severely low. Um, But also too, I think that if you see that person, that is using glucagon frequently or having it administered to them frequently. Um, I know I've encountered some of those, then we need to really be asking like, what's not like, what's not working? You know, is it that they don't have a CGM? We need to get them that. Have we not made the appropriate medication adjustments? Is there something else going on beyond that? Uh, Because I think we need to dive down deeper, but I think sometimes our education in what to do may vary depending on who's in front of us. Great point. So, Dr. Lieb, you're a program director. Uh, We just had the first month of fellows in July. What do you tell your fellows? Someone, I mean, this is a call we get all the time, right? Uh, Blood sugars, 45 from the family members calling. They've given glucagon twice already. (laughs) You know, when is it time to go to the emergency room? How do you, what's your approach? Uh, Well, hopefully they've already called uh, 911 before they they call me for, for advice on what to do next. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the sooner the better often, uh, you know, obviously, you know, if you have to give somebody glucagon, that can be a very scary experience for, for people. Um, uh, and that's probably the time that you need to start thinking about, um, about calling uh, 911 for assistance, because you just don't know what's going to happen uh, and, and how somebody's going to respond. Um, uh, I think the the point that Dr. Clemens brought up about having a second dose, I think, is really important. So when you prescribe glucagon, you know, sometimes you can choose between a one pack or a two pack. Uh, most people need a two pack. They either need it for home and work, or they need to have a couple for home or wherever you know wherever they spend most of their time. Because you may have to give that second dose if the first dose isn't working while you're waiting for for the ambulance to come. Um, and also, uh, I was disturbed to find out uh, not that long ago, not every state mandates that EMS, emergency medical services, carry glucagon on the ambulance that comes to your home. So you may think that glucagon is on its way, but it may not be. Uh, and those individuals, I, I imagine they have to give them dextrose in some other form, you know, intravenously. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's it's incredibly important for for people to realize those things and yeah it's it's hard sometimes to convince folks to to get it because it can be expensive it's not always covered and you've never had to use it before mm-hmm. so you know it's kind of like how how uh, how are you going to convince me to spend money on something when I'm spending money on all this other stuff that you've also told me to spend money on and I'm doing it uh, and I've never had a severe low blood sugar. Uh, it's it, it can be a, a hard sell, uh, but uh, having done this long enough now, uh, you know there are people that I meet who 
have an episode, it kind of comes out of nowhere. They weren't necessarily expecting it. And their only risk is that maybe that they've had type one diabetes for, you know, for a long time. Uh, things happen. Uh, and when it happens, you want to have something nearby. Um, fortunately, these newer forms of glucagon, they've got pretty long shelf lives. Uh, mm. They're each a little bit different. Uh, they range anywhere from a year to three years. So you need to check to be sure. But um, and, and they're stable at, at room temperature uh, for extended periods of time as well. So those are some of the things that you need to think about when you're picking between the different uh, the different formulations. But uh, yeah, people need it. Yeah, and we and we and we, like need, we need to prescribe it or be involved in teams that that advocate for prescribing it. Yeah, this is a really a, a very important topic and pr probably under discussed amongst our endocrine care teams. Uh, this has been a great conversation, and um, I'd like to just end with maybe a few um, words, uh, final departing remarks from each of you. I mean, uh, we could probably go on for another hour, and this is such an important topic, but I was wondering, if what is your uh, number one take-home message from this uh, podcast today? So maybe I'll start with Dr. Clements. Well, I think I would have so many, it's hard to narrow down to one, but I just hope that people take away that glucagon is very important when you think about diabetes management and you need to start putting the recommendations into practice and evaluating the person in front of you to know if they're a candidate for it or not. And Dr. Leib, what is your uh, take home message? I would add it and part of this was in preparation for, for the podcast and for talking to you all. Um, the multidisciplinary aspect of this is incredibly important because if, if I tell somebody that they need glucagon, they may say, oh, you know, okay, whatever, you know, thanks, Dr. Lee, you tell me a lot of things. Um, if our certified diabetes care and education specialist tells them they need it, they may say, uh, he was telling me I needed it too. I didn't really want to. And then they see, you know, PharmD that's involved in their care or uh, one of the nurses or somebody that's involved in, you know, in, in, in the clinic and bringing people to the room, the more people that talk about it, the more um, I think it, it, it hits home uh, and it reaches the individual how important it is for them to, to have. Um, uh, and so I think having a, 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 a true endocrine care team approach um, to uh, raising awareness of hypoglycemia and glucagon as therapy, emergent therapy uh, for it is, is incredibly important. And uh, Jennifer, you mentioned, you know, quality improvement. Uh, and, uh, and Vin, you mentioned that I'm a program director. So I think I'm in a good situation to have our wonderful fellows uh, potentially do a QI project here. Uh, and, uh, and I, I recommend that everybody ask their fellows to be involved in a QI project to determine how often you're prescribing uh, glucagon and, and where the barriers are to prescribing it and filling those prescriptions. That would be a great QI project. I mean, uh, it's a very important topic and I can see uh, a lot of uh, areas. I mean, you could follow the metrics and you could probably get the prescription rates to go up. Uh, so thank you again for uh, participating. I want to tell the audience, uh, please check out the guidelines. They're available at ace.com, or you can go to endocrinepractice.org. Look for the American Association of Clinical Endocrinology Clinical Practice Guideline, Developing a Diabetes Comprehensive Care Plan 2000 
22 update, you'll find an amazing section on hypoglycemia. Uh, you wouldn't know it from the title, uh, but it's great to, uh, to, to see that there's a lot of good information there, tables, um, information on treatment of hypoglycemia. And I think uh, definitely something you should uh, print out and post up in your office and uh, use. So thank you very much again for, for joining our podcast. And thank you to the audience for listening. Thanks for listening to another great ACE podcast. Join us for another episode at aace.com slash podcasts and help us in our mission to elevate clinical endocrinology. Together, we are ACE.